0: So we typically don't start a service out like this, but there is a vehicle that's parked right out in the front. You can't miss it. It has a personalized tag, G-R-M-P-Y. There's a, there's a tiger tail hanging out the back, and um, that vehicle's being towed as we speak. So. <laughs> I believe the owner just walked in. <laughs> uh, did y'all notice uh, last night that sky was orange and blue, wasn't it? Ooh, man! All right. Well, we're here to worship the Lord today, and uh, that's what we have in common. If we belong to the Lord, we can come and we can praise Him, and He's absolutely, without question, worthy of our praise. So if you're visiting with us here today and uh, you have an opportunity to worship with us, we're uh, excited that you're here. And uh, we hope that you will uh, go away with um, an understanding that um, at Grace, our, uh, the centrality of, of what we do here is about the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I hope that, that resonates with you and that's something that you're looking uh, for I want to make just a couple of announcements this morning uh, before we begin. Uh, We will have a visitor's luncheon on December the 3rd for those who have been visiting. And uh, there's a sign-up sheet right out there in the foyer uh, for you to to, to sign up. And if you have been visiting and have been to the luncheon that we had previous um, and you're interested in joining uh, the church or interested in more information about uh, the church itself, we will have a New to Grace class, which will be on January 21st. Isn't it hard to believe we're using uh, January, right? It just goes by so quick. So January 21st, we will have a New to Grace class for those who are interested in learning more about the church and then potentially joining our fellowship. And then this year, uh, you know that uh, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. And that does not mean that we are not meeting. Absolutely, we are meeting. And um, we are actually having baptism that morning. And so if you're interested in being baptized, if that's something that the Lord has put on your heart, I'd love to talk with you about that and about the, um, the importance of that and your identification with Christ. And so I trust if uh, you are one who um, desires that, that you'll sign up for that. And again, the sign-up sheet is out there in the foyer. And you can call the church office and set up a time to meet with me. So that we can talk about that, all right? Well, this morning we want to uh, continue our reading. I know you remember because you are brilliant people. And uh, we have been reading through 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we are. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to read, as I said to begin, we're going to read 1 and 2 Thessalonians. That's our our goal. And um, we want to begin uh, this morning uh, where we left off last time. And I know you remember that. That was chapter 2 and verse 13. And I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read uh, the Word of God uh, together this morning. Paul says, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might, or excuse me, might, may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown or of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. You know, as I was reading through that section, I was not only reminded of the cost of being a follower of the Lord but I was reminded of the fact that there is an enemy and that enemy is real and present and um, do you know the enemy doesn't like what we're doing this morning meeting together and um, I would just remind all of us that it is a privilege to be able to meet together and uh, we don't take that for granted after the last few years we're thankful and Christians today ought to be more united than ever and what we see over taking place in the Middle East, it's awful, but we know who's coming, don't we? And that's the Lord Jesus. And so um, I hope you'll remember that um, uh, the Lord Jesus has conquered the enemy. And so we have uh, the power of the Lord living in us if we belong to him, the Holy Spirit of God, who walks with us and leads us and guides us. So I hope that's encouraging to you as we start uh, this morning let's bow and uh, let's ask the lord to help us all right lord we need your help we've likely come into this building today with um maybe other things even on our minds uh things that we consider uh, important and uh things that um may even this hour service distractions from the most important thing. Um, which is to bring you into the center. Um, I pray that. The center center of our worship this morning. Will be the Lord Jesus. And that. Um, we've considered how we have come into the building today. That um, we are right in our fellowship with you. If we belong to you. That. Um, Lord I. My prayer is that you just take the distractions and remove them. And that our focus will be on you. And while all the many blessings that we have, um, just in knowing you, uh, help us not to lose sight of that. We think of Israel uh, this morning. We pray for Israel. Uh, We're thankful to know, Lord, that we know the rest of the story. And uh, you've not forgotten your people. And uh, I pray that as Christians we would stand on that truth. Paul went to great pains to remind um, his own countrymen that the Lord had not forgotten them. Right in the middle of a tremendous dissertation on salvation. As he talks through Romans. He's uh, just worked through a section on sanctification we'll continue that a little bit in chapter 12 but in 9 through 11 he pauses to tell his own countrymen hey the Lord hadn't forgotten you and the promises that were made to Abraham and so I pray that we would um, we would appreciate those things because uh, you're a trustworthy God Uh, what you say is true and what you say you will do you will do And um, so, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage us this morning as we're here to worship you. And I pray again that you'd remove the distractions that we might have, that our focus wouldn't be on our neighbor or across the aisle, but that our focus would be on you as we sing and as we open your word this morning. And all this I pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen.
1: Great to see you guys this morning. Back from my travels. and been looking forward to worshiping with you guys. Uh, You know, uh, we, in our Christian life, we, we sometimes we're on a mountaintop and sometimes we're in the valleys, right? But like Job said, the Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? All right, so you guys worship with us this morning.
2: is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Sit Suffering this pain in the Offering Blessed be your name Every blessing You pour right out i turn back To grace When the darkness Closes in Lord still I Will say Blessed be but blessed be Your name. Every blessing You pour out, I turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I'm gonna say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glory stay. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glory name. Blessed be the name. song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Just. Split and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my savior on that cursed tree. His body bowed and drenched in tears then laid him down in joseph's tomb the entrance by heavy stone Messiah stood. and all What a day that will be when I see my key and join that quiet.
1: Father, we are just so grateful this morning for the cross, for your blood, and that one day, Lord, one day we're going to be there, and we're going to be able to meet you face to face. We'll be unencumbered by uh, the problems this world presents, our own sin, all that will be gone, and we just look forward to that day, and we just publicly want to acknowledge as a people that we know it's all because of you. You alone are worthy of all our praise, our glory. All the glory, everything, Lord, it belongs to you and you alone. And so we're just grateful this morning, and we just pray that your spirit would lead us to continue our worship this morning together. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: They've given me some new technology. If you weren't paying attention, you didn't catch it. But yeah, we'll see how it works. So, until January, um, we are going to begin a new series together, and I've entitled it uh, Songs to Consider. We will be in the different uh, Psalms. Um, This morning, our time will be in Psalm 115. Uh, And next week, our time will be in Psalm 115. And then that will be it with Psalm 115. It's amazing how the Lord puts things together. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention just what was sung this morning fits so, so well with what we're about to do, and God gets all the credit for that. B and I didn't talk this week about it, and I just love the way the Lord puts things together, don't you? is that good? So, I don't know how many of you have taken the time to study a psalm in your Christian life. I know many people mention to me, I've read this psalm, or I've read this psalm, or this is my favorite psalm, like Psalm 23. Uh, Even the worst pagan has probably heard the words of Psalm 23. And I can't say to you that every week we look at an individual psalm that it will be in an order. Um, It's going to be in God's order. How about that? That'd be all right? Um Because to start a series in Psalm 115, uh, you'd say, wow, there's 150 psalms. How did you choose 115? The Lord did it. I've been reading, and I just came across Psalm 115, and it just hooked me. Um, I was like a fish. I was hooked. And I really wanted to dive in and find out more about this psalm. Do you know one of the hardest parts, this is just a commercial, you know one of the hardest parts of a church service is grabbing the attention of the people so that they will listen for about 30 to 40 minutes. Did you know that is not as easy as you might think? That's not my goal. My goal is that you would be grabbed by what's said here about the Lord. And what you're going to find in this particular psalm is that there are two different points in the psalm where your eyes are just drawn to those verses. At least my eyes were. And since I'm the one up here talking, that's where we're going to go. When you read the first eight verses, verse 2 is the one that just stands out to me. Because it almost seems as if it's in the wrong order, the psalm. You would almost consider that the psalmist would want to have begun with verse 2, but he couldn't. He couldn't do it. Verse 2 concerns um, those who in the nations may have been mocking the Lord God, saying to Israel, Hey, where's your God? Now remember whether we're talking about the time period of when Israel was in bondage in Egypt or we're talking about the Babylonian captivity, both of those places were devoted to polytheism, a worship of many, many gods. And Israel had one god, Yahweh. And so when you come to Psalm 115, the first thing you have to deal with is the fact that we don't know who the author is. We don't necessarily know the time frame. Now, if you're reading in your study Bible, in the ESV, you would say, now, Pastor Thad, um, these notes tell me that this corresponds to the time when Israel was in bondage in Egypt. Well, okay, that's great. But then there are other theologians who would say, no, it corresponds to the time period when um, Israel was in uh, uh, exile in Babylon. Well, you know what? The psalmist doesn't say. It is noteworthy that Psalm 113 through 118 is considered by many theologians to be uh, individual psalms that were dedicated to um, praising God... Uh, as the uh, children of Israel are being delivered from Egyptian bondage. So some view it as that particular time frame when they were in Egypt, some Babylon. It's interesting, as I've thought through that, I've had more time to consider that than you. Um, I don't know that the psalmist doesn't mention it because it doesn't matter which one time period that you're talking about, both are applicable because of where Israel was. They were in lands where there was a polytheistic mentality, the service of many gods. Um, This particular psalm is a psalm that is going to highlight the complete distinction between the gods in the Babylonian or Egyptian world versus Yahweh. You say, well, Thad, what does that have to do with me? I don't know. Let's study it and find out. I would say that you're going to come to the end of the psalm and even be more convinced that the God that we serve is the only God. And that He is so distinct that it's difficult to even describe Him. But the psalmist does. And so we want to look at that together uh, this morning. Now, I'm going to try to use this um, PowerPoint, but I want us to begin by reading verses 1 and 2 together. Look what it says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, Where now is their God? Now, in the first particular verse we want to look at this morning, in verse 1, he is going to speak about the fact that Yahweh and Yahweh alone is deserving of glory. He alone is deserving of glory. It says that in verse 1. Notice what he tries to do right from the very beginning. It's not about us. Not to us. And he says it twice. Not to us. So glory does not belong to man. Glory belongs to who? The Lord. Well, who is the Lord? Well, the word Yahweh is the self-existent eternal God. He deserves the glory of God. He deserves the honor. He says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Now, he tells us why the Lord is worthy of glory, and we're going to get to that. But as I was thinking through that particular piece, I thought, well, yes, the Lord is deserving of glory, but why is he deserving of glory? You say, that well, you don't have to guess. The psalmist tells you why. Yeah, but there's more to it than that. The psalmist gives us two reasons to glory in his name. He talks about loving kindness, and he talks about faithfulness. Okay? Those are, those are two reasons the psalmist gives. And we appreciate, don't we, the love of God. We appreciate the faithfulness of God, but doesn't God deserve glory just because He is? And while the psalmist doesn't say that, I think he says that. It's right there in the middle between not to us and not to us. He says not to us, O Lord, not to us. The Lord deserves the glory because of who he is. I read one theologian who wrote, well, this was an opportunity, and I'm paraphrasing, for the Lord to receive glory by delivering his people. And I thought, yeah, but that's not it. Yes, we want people, don't we, to glorify the Lord. Yes, yes. And we tend to glorify the Lord uh, at times in conditional manners. And what I mean by that is, well, he's done this for me. Glory be to your name. Glory be to his name anyway. How about that? Just because of who he is, he's worthy of the glory. Whether he delivered him from bondage in Egypt, or brought them out of exile to Babylon. God deserves the glory because of who he is. You can't miss that. You miss that, I think you miss it all. Because then you're going to just attach it to two things. Love and faithfulness. Nothing wrong with attaching it. The author does. But as I've had time to meditate on it and think on it, I'm like, hold on a second. Yes, yes. The Lord deserves glory because of the love that He has. Because God doesn't love like man loves. And yes, God deserves the glory because He's faithful. If anybody knew the faithfulness of God, it would have been Israel. Even when they were disobedient. Not deserving of, God was faithful. By the way... As I mentioned in my prayer earlier, and I'm sure you caught it, the Lord hadn't forgotten his people Israel. He alone is deserving. Now, this is in a bigger context. Because whether you're talking about Egypt or Babylon, remember, these are polytheistic cultures. and, And the gods that they worship, they made. What's wrong with that? A lot. And the psalmist just draws a line in the sand. And he says, He alone is worthy of glory. And he says that in verse 1. He says, Because of your loving kindness and because of truth or faithfulness, it can be translated. I like what... um. C.H. Spurgeon, I'm supposed to use this thing. What C.H. Spurgeon says, and we'll get that to a minute, into that in a minute. Psalm 29. And there, this would be a good exercise for you to do sometime. Go to each individual psalm and look up the word glory. See if you can just find it. Take your Strong's and go through there and see all the times glory is mentioned in the psalms and 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 it being attached to the Lord, it, there's a ton of them. I'm just giving you two verses: ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord, the glory do his name, worship the Lord in holy array or attire. The glory do who his name, his name, not any Egyptian. Handmade God or Babylonian handmade God. The Lord deserves the glory. You say, well that, how do we use that? In our world. You know what the nations are crying out today to Christians. Hey, where's your God? They're saying the same thing. Hey, where is your God? Doesn't he know what's going on over there in Israel? And those are supposed to be his people. Look what's going on in your life. Where's your God? (laughs) And you hear people use language in Christian circles like, and I'm not not sure quite what you're going to think about it. Lord, we want you to show up and show out. And I'm like, well, first of all, he hadn't left. He's here. Right? Right? I've gotten to the point, I don't really like that phrase a whole lot. And I'll tell you why, because I think the emphasis is more about man than it is God. The glory is due only to the Lord God himself. The one who is the self-existent eternal God. And the psalmist points it out. So you know what? I got to thinking about Okay what does it mean that we would ascribe glory to the Lord? And the Lord gave me a thought. If I as an individual am going to ascribe glory to God, he needs to be in the middle. He needs to be in the center. Right? So, when I'm at work, he's in the center. When I'm at school, he's in the center. When I go to a party, he's in the center. I was at a party last night a celebration of a couple who's been married 50 years and there was a person who gave an opening kind of speech about the parents and what struck me was it wasn't about the two people it was about the lord All the glory belongs to the Lord. I was like, wow, this is really awesome. And I was thinking all night, why shouldn't I use this tomorrow? And the Lord's like, you should use this tomorrow. It is such a fantastic illustration of when you go wherever you are, at the center is Christ. At the center is the Lord. So when I think about giving glory to the Lord, if I'm going to do that, he has to be the center in my life. He has to be in the middle. You think about... Maybe this will help you to understand that a little better. Um, when a baby's born, the baby immediately becomes the center of attention. Did you know that? In fact, there are some babies that have been born this year, in the last few months, that at Christmas time, they'll be the center. Everybody's going to be focusing in. Oh, look at how sweet and how cute. And those little dimples and those cute little fingers and those cute little toes. And look at that cute little smile. They're the center. When our first son was born in 1991, I'll never forget when they brought the baby, who's Caleb, to the room. And I looked at Caleb and I was like, yeah, it's a boy. Here he is. And I held him and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Thank you, Lord, for this gift. Teresa, way different ballgame. She held Caleb, and she's like, honey, look at his little fingers. And she's touching them. And I'm like, yeah, he's got fingers. And, 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 and then she unwrapped him, you know, because they, they wrap him up to keep him warm. And, 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 and she's like, oh, honey, look at his little toes. And I'm like, yeah, he has toes. But this so reminded me That when there's a baby born and you get to go into that area uh, and see the mom and dad and see the reaction of the mom and dad. Now you have dads that are exceptions to the rule. But pretty much the dad goes, yeah, there it is. But the mom takes time and and just points out every little thing. You know, I didn't even know Micah had dimples, our second one, until Teresa pointed it out. (laughs) She said, hey babe, look at those dimples. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, they're nice. Guys, the center of Israel should have always been the Lord God. Was it always in their history? No. It's hard to believe that even they worshipped idols at times. Isn't that hard to believe? But before we're so critical of Israel, we need to be careful because we might not have little wooden statues or gold or silver statues in our room. But sometimes we put other things in the center. Over and above the Lord. Well, he deserves all the glory. Oh, i not using that. There we go. C.H. Spurgeon said this. If you run into a theology that glorifies man, run far from it. Well, you know what? You're going to have to run away from health, wealth, and prosperity theology. It glorifies man. It's consumed with man. In fact, I would say it's consumed with your happiness. I don't know what those guys do with passages like Romans 8. I just don't know what they do with all that. Probably consider that your sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. Hold on a second. Suffering? We know in our lives, don't we, some of the greatest lessons that we're taught in our lives are during times of suffering. Well, so he's deserving That's the first point. Secondly, he's distinguished in this text. Now, it took me a while to like this word, but I like it. Because I believe that's exactly what the author is doing. He's distinguishing between God, Yahweh, and these idols. I know you know what the word distinguished is because you read dictionaries. But just in case you haven't read one lately, the word distinguish has to do with recognizing and treating someone as being different or distinct. Wouldn't we say that God is different and distinct from any other God? And that's what the author is going to address with his audience, He's going to say, hey, the God of heaven is different. He's different than these idols. He is not like them. I like this quote, and I don't know who said it, but the Lord is in a class all by himself. There are no competitors, no rivals. Indeed, there is no one like the Lord God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you live like you believe that this morning? Listen to what the psalmist says to his audience in distinguishing the God of heaven from these idols. He says, but our God is in the heavens. Remember, the nations are mocking and saying, hey, where's your God? And the psalmist is like we have an answer. Our God is in the heavens. Now some translations might have heaven singular, but heaven plural is not a problem, is it? Our God's in the heavens, right? So you know there are three heavens. There's the atmosphere, then there's space, and then there's the dwelling place of the Lord, the third heaven. So whether it's singular or plural, it doesn't matter. Because our God is what? Omnipresent. So I don't think that's his primary point, but I do believe that he's saying here, our God is in the heavens, meaning he's above, in contrast to your idols which you make that are right in front of you, right? That you fashion. Our God is above all. In fact, I think I gave you some scriptures that point that out on your handout. I like what's said in Psalm 47, For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He's over all. Uh, Psalm 95, For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. So I think here he's speaking about the position of the Lord. He's over and above. He's above all. Versus these idols... Who are crafted by the hands of man. Notice what he says. Our God is in the heavens. He does. Whatever he pleases. Well. What do idols do? They can't do a thing. In fact he's fixing to talk about that. They can't do anything. But. But. Our God, listen to the distinction. First of all, our God is self-existent. Okay? Secondly, um, our God is above all. Thirdly, He can do. He can do. And He does. You think about the nation of Israel and all that the Lord God did for Israel in her history. Oh, my goodness. He does. He can do versus idols, which can't do. Notice in verse 3, he says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Wow. We need to remember that. Our God's over. He's sovereign. He does what he pleases. You know what he's not doing? He's not looking for your permission or mine. To do He does. You know how pitifully worthless these idols were? The only way they can do anything is if their maker takes them up and moves them. They can't do it. They can't walk. They can't talk. He's about to point those things out. They can't do. they're lifeless. And yet I've been to Thailand and I've been into a temple and I've seen people bow down to those lifeless and worthless things. And I'm like, whoa! Isn't that so foreign to us really here in the United States? And yet we have idols, don't we, that we bow down to at times and put in place of the Lord. But in this particular context, the author is distinguishing between Yahweh and the gods of either Egypt or Babylon, their idols are silver and gold. Oh, well, silver and gold are valuable. Is that true? In and of themselves, silver and gold are valuable. But not in this context. Because the silver and gold that they had, they were being fashioned into gods to worship. I remember walking in when we were in Thailand and going in one of those temples and I'm like there's rugs there's you know mm-hmm. incense being burned and, and, and it's like there's, you know, there's always seems to be carpet in these places I guess that's a place so you'll be comfortable and, and when you're worshipping this thing and it's a thing it's a hunk of gold it's a hunk of metal It's a piece of wood, whatever it is. And can you imagine that man is bowing to that? They are around the world. Are you listening to me? Oh, I got some more gods to talk about. The gods in the United States, well, there may be points, places, you know, temples here, temples there, where that's going on. But the God of Americans, ooh, how many do we need? Talk about the gods of Americans. There is the God of health and wealth and prosperity. I think the biggest God for mankind is himself. The one that I wrestle with the most every day is me. And I'm a believer. I think those idol things are just dumb. But, but there are people that make when they bow down to them. And the author says here, they're idols, they're silver and gold. Notice he says, the work of man's hands. Man makes them. He fashions them the way he wants them to be. They're beautiful, aren't they? If you interviewed people who bow down to them, they would say, yeah, they're beautiful. But they're not valuable. How do you describe the value of Yahweh? How valuable is the Lord? That's a question for you to consider. How valuable is the Lord? Well... How valuable is the Lord in your life? It's a good question. The author says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They are absolutely confined to where man takes them. He makes them and he takes them. And he places them. Our God's in the heavens. And he's living And he's active. And he's loving. And he's faithful. (laughs) You know, when I was studying the psalm, the Lord was just kicking me in the teeth. And I got some big front teeth. And he was kicking me because he's like, Thad, you needed to be reminded of this. That the God that loves you and saved you is alive and well and worthy of all the glory and praise that you give. So Sunday morning is is not just that, an exercise in futility. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not here to look at each other and talk about football, and I like talking about football, but we're not here to do all that stuff. We're here to worship the God of all creation who made us and fashioned us. Well, all right. Let's move to point three. He is dissimilar. That is a word. In case you wanted to know, it is a word. Look at the description of their gods. And you will see the worthlessness... And uselessness of them. Look at this. Why does the author, you think, point out these things? Well, he's drawing this clear distinction between the God of heaven and these gods who've been fashioned and made by man's hands. But you know what Israel needed a reminder of time and time again? Don't worship the idols. You remember the history of Israel. Right? And the Lord said when they entered the land, Hey, get rid of all those ites. All their gods. Israel obeyed, right? No, they didn't. And it cost them. This is a good lesson for us that we should think through about deleting the idols in our lives. Listen to the description the author says. He says, they have mouths, but they cannot speak. Oh, my goodness. Did you know that? Yeah, well, sure you did. What about our God? Does he speak? Oh, he, he does. In fact, I would say our God's a personal God. Is that okay? He interacts with us. Aren't you glad? You say, that I... Never heard the voice of God. Have you read the word of God? Right? It just jumps off. Right? The distinction between this book and every other book. This is a living book. And we have to beg Christians to get in it. Imagine that. Guys. There are some scriptures I gave you that speak to the personal nature of God. And I want to show you that in a minute, but I want to go through this first. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Think about the times where the Lord, through His Son and His word, has spoken to you and given you comfort. Any of you? Aren't you glad? Our God speaks. And we know that God has spoken in various ways at various times. And we know the Bible tells us that in the last days He's spoken to us through His Son. But when Israel was in bondage in Egypt, and I think that's the illustration I used, the Lord spoke to Moses, and Moses spoke to the people. Why? Because our God's a personal God. He cared about them. How do you know that? That well, look. Look at what it says in your handout. The Lord said, Exodus 3, 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. Listen to me. He was aware of the sufferings of Egypt. He's aware of yours. We'll mark that place and come back. Look what it says in 115. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. Oh, it says here, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. And by the way, he sees everything. He sees it all. Nothing is hidden from his sight, young people. Are you listening to me? Nothing is hidden from his sight. Now, the enemy is going to try to convince you, oh, well, that's, you know. Yeah, you you don't, you don't have to worry about that. Listen to me. You may hide it from your parents or your grandparents or whoever it is you stay with, but you can't hide it from the Lord. And all these older folks in here who have a little bit of gray will tell you that. And the older you get in the Lord, you're going to go, yeah, you know everything. He sees it all. He saw the affliction of his people. They have eyes, but they cannot see. (laughs) Aren't you glad our Lord sees? Guys, listen, he sees what you're going through. Fully aware. They have ears, but they cannot hear. It's almost as if... The psalmist is holding one of those idols in his hand, going, Yeah, this is just nonsense, ridiculous. Let me tell you about it. They have mouths, they can't speak, they have eyes, they can't see, they have ears, they can't hear, they have noses, they can't smell. Well, what in the world's that? You know what the Lord loves? A sweet aroma. The sweet aroma in the scriptures is about two things from what I can tell. It's about obedience, right? It's about obedience, it's about worship. About prayers of those who belong to the Lord. So it's that sacrifice, it's that smell. They have noses, they can't smell. They have hands, they can't feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. I thought immediately about Enoch. The Lord walked with Enoch. You said that... How'd that look? I got no idea. But the Bible says he walked with him. True? True. And Look at this one. They cannot make a sound with their throat. (laughs) You know why? Because they're lifeless. Well, let's go back to these verses in Exodus because... They this description that the psalmist gives about these idols, that's awful. I don't want any gods like that. I just want Yahweh. And that's what he's telling the, the Israel. Hey, look, no matter what's said about your God, your God in comparison to them blows them away. Because your God speaks, sees hears, smells, feels, walks, talks. Wow. Pause and think about that for a minute. How personal was God with Moses and Israel? Look at verse 14 on your handout. But God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The eternal, self-existent God. That's good. Do you know that the Bible tells us that more was said to Israel? You remember after they come out of Egypt. It says, The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He was with them. Don't ever think the Lord has forsaken you or forgotten you. We know what the Bible says, he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. Well, then, in chapter 14. So Moses knew the presence of the Lord and the personal nature of the Lord, and he passes it on to the people. He says, God says, um, or excuse me, Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. He's talking there of salvation as the word deliverance which he will accomplish for you today for the Egyptians who you have seen today. We know this is set in the context of right before they're crossing the Red Sea. You will never see them again. Imagine hearing that, like if you're one of those people. And Moses declares, hey, look, after today, you ain't got to worry about them anymore. But that's what you've been concerned with for 400 years. And all of a sudden, you don't have to worry about that anymore. I got to thinking, you know, there are things that, that, that I worry about in my life at times. I don't have to worry about that anymore. You know why? Because the same God who's about to walk them through that Red Sea and deliver them is the same God that can deliver you from the defeat of the enemy when you're thinking, oh, and oh. He can do it. Notice, oh, I love this. He says, the Lord will fight for you. Hey, guys, you ever tried to go into battle without the Lord? Don't. The Lord will fight for you. We don't have to fight it. He says, I love this next little phrase. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. (laughs) That's in that... (laughs) I almost want to make that my life little verse, right in there, right right in the middle. That the Lord will fight for you while you shut up. Because when you get involved in your flesh, you can really make things different. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. You know what? In short, you know what the Lord told Moses? I got it. You know the message we need to hear sometimes? God's got it. He's fully aware of what's going on in your life and in my life. You know, what's interesting is the conclusion, verse 8. He says, those who make them will become like them. Oh, well, what would they be? Useless, worthless. That's what he's saying. Those who will make them will become like, they'll become useless. Everyone who trusts in them. And can you believe? I know it's hard to believe. But can you believe as you're walking through Exodus... That there's a point in time when Moses is with the Lord for an extended period of time. And those people down there are going, man, let's worship the Lord. We're waiting patiently on Moses. Is that what's going on? No, they come together in all their wisdom. And create this golden calf. That they're going to do what with? Worship. And you're like, right, you just want to go. Right, you ever done that? Right? Your kid's done something like you've been to those plays where your kid's messed up and you go, ooh. Right? Hey, they create this golden calf and they bow down and worship. All right, I'll give you a little chart. I didn't put this little chart. Oh, I need to throw this away. Um, this little chart. Isn't that cool? I just touch a button. Van said today I was going to be able to draw on it at some point. Careful when I can start drawing. Not only can I not draw, but I might put up something like Go Hogs or something like that. All right, look at the contrast. I I just kind of give it to you here. In summary of these verses. The Lord is creator. Agreed? Idols are fashioned by the hands of men. The Lord is in the heavens. In the Septuagint, which is um, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it has in the earth as well, verse 3. It says, but our God is in the heavens and in the earth. I think that we could take that and say, our Lord is omnipresent. He's in the heavens. Idols dwell on earth. In fact, idols are confined to where their maker takes them. (laughs) The Lord does as he pleases. Idols are powerless to do. I like this fourth one. The Lord is living and personal. Idols are lifeless and impersonal. Well, I got three things for you to take home. These aren't like prizes, but three thoughts, okay? Go home with these three things. And you can make up your own, but these are the three that I came up with. Go home with a desire to glorify Him. Put Him in the center. Is that good? Let's place Him in the center. Go home with an understanding that God is above all. You know, the world might treat Him... Like he's just someone else, but we know better. He's above all. And then go home with an understanding that God knows us completely. He knows us, I put in my notes, He knows us full well. There is nothing that God does not know about us. Can I just encourage you uh, this morning with how well? our God knows us, and then I'll pray. You ready for this? This is in a psalm that you're familiar with. But Psalm 139, listen to these words of David. O Lord, Yahweh, self-existent eternal one, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down, and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. And are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. You can read the rest of the psalm this afternoon. Our God's a personal God. He formed us. He made us. And he knows us full well. So you know what Israel needed to do? Rest in that. Rest in the fact that, yeah, there is a huge distinction between the gods of this world and Yahweh. Let's pray now together. Lord, thank you for Psalm 115. Thank you that um, there's a clear distinction between who you are, Lord, And the gods of men. Um, Maybe we just needed a reminder today. um, That bringing glory to you involves. Putting you in the center. In everything no matter what we do. Um, Maybe we needed a reminder that. There's nothing. um, That goes on in our lives without you knowing it. I, I don't know. Maybe it's that. We needed the reminder that that there is no one like you, as Isaiah 40 says, in two places. Who is like me? No one is like you, Lord. The other thing that I would want us to take away is that while you're above all, you are separate, 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 as Isaiah said, you're holy, holy, holy. And there's no one like you. You desire relationship with us. And you desire fellowship with us. Wow. I don't know what you'll do with what we've looked at today. I know what you've done in me. And so I just pray that you would help us uh, to chew on these things. That um, we might understand better that (laughs) indeed... There is no one like Yahweh. And all these things we pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Guys, Thad said that the Lord fights for us, right? Well, 2,000 years ago he fought for us on the cross, right? And we just want to thank him. That's how we want to close our services, thanking him for that. So let's stand as we close out singing together.
2: I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvary That you, the perfect Holy One Crushed your Son Who drank the bitter cup Reserved for me Your blood has washed away my sin jesus thank you the father's wrath completely satisfied jesus thank you once your enemy now sitting at your table jesus thank you sacrifice have been brought in. in me you made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness no end. your blood Jesus, thank you, the Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you, once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you.
1: What's your enemy?
2: once your enemy? Now sitting on your table, Jesus, thank you.
0: Well, amen. Um, just a couple of thoughts before you leave. I've got time. Um. I was thinking as we were singing that um, there's a lot more I wanted to say today, so um, I have to be conscious of time, but um, I was thinking that, like, a lot of times, if we have that picture of, of what's in the center, who's in the center, sometimes the things themselves aren't bad things, right? I mean, they're just not. I mean, you know, it might be my family, or my wife, or my kids, or or my job, or you things that, I, that, that, that just are part of life. Um, but it goes a whole lot better when Christ is in the center and those things are attached to it. Does that make sense? So that it's not like the focal point is not on that beautiful little baby, which I love that beautiful little baby, right? But my focal point's Christ. And if I'm focusing on Christ, then I want for that beautiful little baby the Lord. Right Does that make sense? So I think that's something to think about, because I think it would be a great error to assume that all of us have victory in that all the time. <laughs> I think we need to be really, really careful. And the Lord got on to me about this first, so I'm just letting you know um, what's the center of your life and mine. It was really good to see you today. I feel like I've been out for 18 weeks. Um, I really enjoy seeing my family, and uh, by that I mean you, and I'm thankful that we get to um, worship uh, together. It's just a prelude of what's coming, and so I hope that uh, I read a quote this week, if you're uh, bored with um, worship on earth, what's going to happen when you get to heaven? So we're worshiping the same one, so um, I'm just going to dismiss you, and I would ask that you would speak to maybe somebody you don't know before you leave. Or just tell somebody, hey, you look great, whether they do or not, really good to see you, that kind of thing. All right? You are dismissed.